beer water. It's a new crazy thing. It's a new pandemic find. I'm glad we caught that on camera. On, uh, oh, good. On audio. Good. I hope uh, everyone knows just where I am at this very snowy pandemic. It's a winter wonderland outside. Yes. I don't uh, know if I want to go walking in it, though. Yeah. Um, snow is all well and good until you realize that it's cold and wet. Yeah, which are two states of being of which I'm not a fan. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's pretty, though. It is pretty. Very it's pretty. Uh, it's very cool. And thankfully, it's a pandemic, so we don't have to go anywhere anyways. Yes. So sometimes the stars align. Very rarely, but sometimes. Yes. Okay, everyone. Um, we are talking to you from a very snowy Tacoma, Washington today. Hello. Hello. I'm Jason. I'm a shivery Laura. Now I've got my blankets. <laughs> yeah, we have to turn off the heater for uh, for these recordings. And so now we are very chilly in the basement. I hope you people know how much we suffered for you. Exactly. Uh, welcome to Come Back a Star, a movie award uh, picture with a misleading title. Yeah, uh, we, we draw you in by thinking it's going to be about scantily clad bad people, but it's actually a fun little... Uh, a uh, marriage dramedy. Yes. Of a podcast. <laughs> of a podcast. We are watching every Best Picture winner and nominee from 1927 onwards, and this episode is number 033, Bad Girl. Bad Girl, which has a poster that if you look it up, that's so salacious of this scantily clad lady, like, reaching amorously for her lover. The movie is nothing like that. <laughs> there is no actual bad girl. I mean, I think it has, the title has to be out of irony because, right. you know, the, you know, the main girl lives a modern life that I'm sure a lot of prudes back then would probably have found inappropriate, but she's not an inappropriate person. Yeah, sort of. And I don't even think that it was that modern. It was just kind of normal but not even like by today's standards normal it seemed like 1950s normal almost right i mean i think you know what they wanted to make was this little dramedy taking place very much during the depression which was going on and uh much like parasite did our most recent best picture winner uh, you know, directed by a guy who was known for making horror movies. So all the trailers and posters made it sound like a horror movie. And there are definitely horrifying aspects to that movie, but it was not. It was so much more than that. And same with Bad Girl. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to put it. Not at all just that they um, changed things up, although it was adapted, wasn't it? So it was maybe... adapted from a play. And apparently the Hays Code was just starting to start basically mm -hmm. so they they really had to work hard to get this one past the censors just because obviously nothing salacious or gross happens but you know a real couple trying to make it in the real world was apparently you know too much for the fate of hearts uh on the Hays code board i wonder if they tamed it down for the movie probably a little i assume yeah even but even then like what i'm imagining that they had to tame down is not quite that scandalous unless unless you're in victorian england right right oh, i don't understand anything about it what they were thinking or whatnot but anyways what do we do on this podcast with the movies jason oh so what we do is that we review the plot and we're gonna offer up our little uh, observations and whatnot and after we go through the entire plot and ruin the movie for you with all the spoilers yeah uh we go ahead and we rate the movie based off of several different categories, including acting, writing, cinematography, and overall. And after that, we give the movie the chance to get some bonus points on um, things like costumes and set. We rate it on boldness, on legacy, like how much it influenced pictures that came afterwards, uh, longevity, how well it stands up over time, and uh, technical, so any kind of like technical uh, Achievement. achievements that yeah. it has. Which, you know, we added just with the talkies, you know, because mm -hmm. uh, that that was a huge technical advancement. So uh, should we jump right into the summary? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. So Bad Girl. Tell Bad us Girl. about it, Laura. OK, so directed by Frank Borsage, who also uh, directed our beloved uh, Seventh Heaven. Which the we, first winner of, of our prestigious Notsker Award. Uh, right. Yeah. And uh 
like you pointed out, it is a very similar movie. Uh, it was adapted from Vina Delmar's play. Uh, 1931's Bad Girl opens with Beautiful Dot, played by Sally Ehlers, uh, getting dressed in a wedding gown. Her best friend, Edna, played by Minna Gomble, is there to buck up the nervous bride. Yet, it's revealed that Dot and Edna are shop girls turned models and are dressing as a bridal party for their employer's fashion show. Both Dot and Edna hold cynical views of men who are shown to constantly try getting fresh with them. And right. uh, this is um this is kind of establishing Dot's uh, skepticism about relationships and perhaps marriage. And itself. Yeah, like um like Dot is young, but she hangs out with Edna, who's older, who uh is later revealed to be a widow, although I'm not sure if they mean she's a widow or if she just had a kid out of wedlock. That might have been one of the things that they tamed up for for the movie. Yeah, and our and you know, maybe like they were hoping this mod, this kind of more savvy audience members would read between the lines. I don't know, but uh and a dot obviously looks up to Edna quite a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. and as we soon learn, that's wise because Edna is the best character. <laughs> like not just to this movie. She's pretty ever. great. She's pretty great. And I would want to yeah. have a friend like Edna. And Minna Gomble is just if I'm saying her name right, it's a great name. She plays it perfectly mm-hmm. um and uh sally eilers i mean i don't know if she's like meryl streep level of actress but she's so cute i mm-hmm. i thought she really i i'm a little disappointed because the movie starts out strong on dot's point of view and she gets some good one-liners to men trying to you know get fresh with get her. fresh with her but uh i feel like her character gets a little lost in the mix later on but i'm getting a hold of myself why don't you take it from here all right so uh however after uh, holding these cynical views of men and kind of talking about how these men are always getting fresh with her. Only want one thing. Exactly. Uh, On the steamboat on the way back from an evening at Coney Island, Edna tells Dot that there's a man aboard, played by James Dunn, who refuses to flirt with anyone. She makes a bet with Dot that Dot can't get him to talk to her. So uh, Dot is kind of drawn in by this uh, unattainable. Yeah. and, And guy who's actually just not not a grasping jerk, I guess. Yeah. He's a jerk in other ways, but in a less offensive way than yeah. uh, I was scared of at first. Yeah, he um he at first does not come off super great, but we'll we'll get into that. Uh Dot succeeds in getting him to talk to her by playing the ukulele and singing, but it's not uh him as she expects to tell her that her singing is uh great. It's him telling her that her singing is lousy and to leave him alone. <laughs> and uh, the, yeah, I think it's uh, I mean, I think it's refreshing for her because even though he says some, you know, female negative things, the way he reacts isn't like it's like he'd react to anybody who is kind of getting in his personal space, which I think she's like, oh, he's treating me like an actual person. Yeah, he's he um, he spars with her as as an equal. Um, well, sort of. I mean. He kind of has this misogynistic, oh, dames are only after, like, guys for their money. And, and you know, you say you don't want uh, men to get fresh with you, but then you dress like that. Which, of course, you know, in the Me Too movement, that, you know, blares off a lot of alarms in my head. And so, you oh, like, yeah. Uh, but I, maybe it comes down to Dunn, who is just very, very likable. But you get the sense that it is mostly bluster, which doesn't make it okay, exactly. Right. But you get the sense that the movie's making a point that... uh He's probably wrong and he might learn that he's wrong. Yeah. And also you get the sense that he puts up a facade that he kind of I got the sense that he learned it somewhere. So it's the toxic masculinity that he's picked up and the misogyny that he's picked up. Yeah. When you later see his boss, you can kind of see why it would be hard for a young man growing up in that environment not to like have some of those views rub off on him. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So the two verbally spar with each other only to eventually get on so well that um James Dunn, uh, who hasn't revealed his name exactly yet. He says his name is Joe. Uh, He agrees to walk her home to her tenement. He is aghast at the poor state of most of the tenants and is protective when Dot says that her brother sometimes beats her. He admits that he's too ambitious to be happy with such a life and that he's saving money to buy his own radio shop. So he's a radio repair guy. Guy, yeah. Which is a pretty Uh, cool job. Yeah, it's it's impressive for that time. So he kind of gives this story that he kind of pulled himself out of the gutter to become a, a 
swell sort of middle class working type. And uh, so that's good for him. Yeah. He uh, he gives Dot his number and uh, the number at the shop that he works at and tells her finally that his name is not Joe. It's Eddie. So I think that shows, you know, throughout he's trying still to kind of like play that he's not interested in her, that, uh, you know, he's not taking the situation seriously. So it doesn't give him her full her give her his whole name. But I think he just in the scene where, uh, you know, she says, well, I have to get upstairs, but then just sits down on the stairs and talks to her for a while. Mm -hmm. And he sees the way the kind of empathetic way she reacts to the various neighbors shuffling in and out a woman who whose sister is sick and who is kind of falling apart because of it. And I think he just becomes fonder and fonder of just what a decent person dot is. So like kind of like gives gives it in a little by giving her his name at the end. Right. And it is very reminiscent. All of this movie is fairly reminiscent of seventh heaven in certain ways. Yeah. And that, you know, originally the man is very kind of like, Oh, these dizzy dames are always getting in the way of yep. me and, and my professional yeah, my aspirations. Big ambitions and he wants to own a radio shop. Whereas the guy in seventh heaven wanted to sh wash streets. Yep. Yep. And dot meanwhile, much like, uh, 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 like the gal. Okay, it's Chico and Diane. Diane in Seventh Heaven. Uh, oh, right. Is is maybe a bit dopey, but she means well, and she's a hard worker herself. And right. uh, I think again, it's the fundamental decency that uh, appeals to his own fundamental decency that he keeps at bay. So it's it is a kind of dynamic that has been done to death, probably in lots of movies. But again comes down to like chemistry between actors and the writing. And I think they get away with it here. Like they got away with it. It's seventh, seventh heaven. heaven. Yeah. yeah. All right. So weeks pass despite Eddie insisting to his boss that he's no good with women and will never marry. His secretary overhears his affectionately teasing phone call with with dot setting a date. So yeah, we get an example here with a boss who is very kind of like old school, casual sexism that he obviously doesn't, doesn't think is harmful, but, uh, you know, put these ideas in Eddie's head like, oh, you've got a big future and you don't go and spoil it all by getting married, you know, dames. And Eddie's like, oh, I just I'm no good with gals anyways. I try to be nice, but then I just say a bunch of mean stuff. And then it's. And again, I, this comes down to Dunn being really charming. You know, he bashfully takes the phone and like tries to hide from his secretary. You hear, hey, stupid, which I don't know, it's just <laughs> was just, you know, sweet. And uh you know, his yeah, he says a lot of awful things in a very sweet way. Right. Which, you know, I can teeter one way or the other. I'm sure in real life that's less charming than it is here. But they get away with it again, I think, because of Dunn. Something works. Yeah. About his performance that wouldn't necessarily work in the hands of a lesser actor. Uh, yeah. And it's kind of sad. He uh, for a long time, like this was like kind of his only hit. But then he did. um Get an Oscar later on in the 40s, I think, for Tree Groves in Brooklyn. So, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were looking up the different things that these people have done because we didn't really recognize the names no, so much. No, none of them. Like, there was no real famous name in this movie, which works because it's about a bunch of average people. Right, right. I mean, I guess uh, real hardcore Shirley Temple fans would recognize him. I guess he played her dad a lot in movies. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't I didn't realize that. I didn't find that little piece of trivia. Nice it, to know. Yeah, there we go. Good job, James Dunn. Let's see, where are we? They eventually, okay. So, however, he ends up standing Dot up, who has been angrily standing, waiting in the rain. Mm -hmm. She tracks him down at his apartment, where he's become so engrossed with putting together radio that he forgot his date. And you can, you know, kind of see some conflict in their relationship. He's so, he's still so enthusiastic about it that, you know, he apologizes, but he's also like, but look at this thing. It's blah, blah, blah. She's like, dude, I was standing in the rain. I'm drenched. You barely apologized to me. So they, they, you know, snap at each other a bit, but they are still kind of in the honeymoon phase of this rela new relationship that they eventually make up. And despite Eddie insisting he'd never get fresh with her, well, he does. And at 4 a.m., Dot panics when she realizes she's never been out this late before and her brother will kill her. Eddie assuages her fears by proposing. Oh. I know. She ecstatically accepts and they set the date for the next day. It's a very swift romance. It and is. Of course, you know, we're supposed to believe that time has passed a bit from what we're seeing, but still, yeah. Yeah, and uh, people, if you actually end up in a romance like that, back away very quickly. Yes. 
Yeah. Don't don't trust anyone who proposes marriage on the second on the first date. <laughs> And like the second time meeting up with you because well, they're, they're yeah. usually so sociopaths. They usually are. But I think we are supposed to believe that more time has passed. They've probably seen each other more than we've seen. But yeah, don't do that, guys. Don't do that. <laughs> Just a word of warning from the wise. Come back a star a podcast, podcast, a movie award podcast. Take your time. What's the rush? All right. Uh, so they have set the date to get married the very next day. Uh, however, her brother, Jim, played by William Pauly, who has raised not since their parents' death, assumes that she's getting married so quickly because she's pregnant and kicks her out. Edna is also there in the apartment when this happens, and she convinces Jim to let uh, Dot collect her clothes before, you know, getting kicked out. And- yeah, at first he was all like, you don't get to, I paid for all those clothes, so you don't get those either. And But Edna, she's so, oh, I love Edna. She at first plays very much like uh, like she's on his side, like, you know, hey, come on, just show her what a white brother you are, how she'll never get that good a treatment uh, again by letting her take her clothes. Mm-hmm. Right. And r- then after she's collected her clothes, um, Edna tells Jim off and says, uh, you know, basically, if you think that Dot's a tramp because she's been out all night or you know into the early morning like well what do you think of me since i'm i've been over here we don't have a chaperone yeah and it's, and it's and it's just as early yep uh and so edna takes dot into her home and that's the last we see of jim yeah which i don't think i did not miss him for the rest of the movie one no. scene and he did not come off great so so long jim no yeah, the actor did a good job. He did. I mean, I'm sure, you know, there's some stuff we could read in between the lines. Of, you know, it probably was a lot of pressure for for a guy to bring up his little sister. And then the depression hits and, you know, that kind of anxiety. But, you know, there are ways to do it that don't involve beating her yeah. and kicking her out. Yeah, he was he was a jerk. And he is pretty much the only person who kind of um, suggests this the whole like bad girl from the title aspect towards her. Yeah, that's probably and, where it comes from. Yeah. And nobody else ascribes it to her. And this is the only scene where it really kind of comes up. So I think. I do agree with you. I think the bad girl title might have been just like irony as in yeah. like, oh, you guys are going to think this is like such a, a you know, trampy woman going out and seducing this young man or just like making bad choices or whatever but instead it's kind of shown that that attitude is bad yeah that the and, attitude is what's bad and Not cruel the girl. and yeah. um and just plain wrong right so yeah that's that's the whole title in a nutshell is in that one scene and then the rest of the movie has nothing to do about how she's a quote bad girl i think in a way this movie was trying to show probably the older generation who was aghast at you know all these girls and their short skirts and makeup and like you know maybe staying over at their boyfriend's house is like these are people who have to work for a living now Mm -hmm. and this is how they live and that's that the times are changing folks just keep up the next day at Edna's house, uh, the situation is hectic. Her young son, Floyd, is making a mess all over the place. And um, one of the, his like many experiments that kind of go on is uh, trying to put ink into milk to turn the milk black. But he can't put milk into the ink to, to make it turn it white. And uh, yeah, poor Edna. <laughs> yeah. And uh, later... She tells him, all right, well, we're going to make breakfast. So put a piece of butter into the skillet. And apparently he just takes a whole pound of butter and drops it into the skillet. I'd, oh, now, explaining yeah. a, like that's a piece. And, you know, now that my, most of my friends have kids, it's like this was so real in that I feel like in a more lighthearted movie, like if it were a 50s sitcom, the mom would have just laughed it off and go, oh, you. But mm-hmm. no, and it's like, God, why did you do that? That was a whole pound of butter and swats him a little bit. Like, yeah. And again, Gomble is so good. You could see her being like, he's just a kid. Mm-hmm. He didn't mean to. But oh, my God. Right. And right. it's just perfect. Yeah. Yeah. She she does a good she has a good dynamic with that little kid. With that little kid. <laughs> you got to love him because, you know, you know, he's he's not doing it on purpose. Right. To be a, to be a little crap, but he's he's just a little mayhem monkey. Just a little mayhem monkey, and you know, if they were like, 
you know, the cleavers or something and in a really big house and it was nice and everything. It wouldn't be probably a huge deal. But again, this is the depression and it's a squalled little flat and it probably cost a pretty penny to get that pound of butter, kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. For right. Which is all ruined now because it's basically boiling in the pan. Uh, yep. So. And, uh, and meanwhile, Edna's other child, Dot. <laughs> <laughs> right. Dot is uh, quickly getting into hysterics when Eddie doesn't show up on time for the for the wedding. Yeah. And at first, and, you know, De- you know, Dot calls the office like, what? He's been fired. He stole from the cash register. And, and it's like they're they're pulling the wool over your eyes. And he comes and uh, but she's like Sally Eilers. She's just so sincere. She's just like, oh, maybe they were just joking with me. And so they yeah. both sit down. So it's funny, like Dot sits down, starts crying. And Edna sees what's happened with the milk and the butter. And she's like, I'm getting hysterics, too. So they both just sit down and like start sobbing. <laughs> it feels so real. Yeah. Uh, so um, Eddie who has, I guess, a reputation for, like, showing up late to things. Yeah. Um, or not at all, in the case of working on his radio until he <laughs> forgot about the date. Uh, but uh, thankfully, he doesn't forget his own wedding. Uh, he eventually does show up, and he exchanges some terse words with Edna, whom he dislikes strongly, even though Edna is the greatest person of all time. But uh, he... He has this relationship with Edna where he is he continues his like facade of misogyny and how mm-hmm. she's always like bossing him around and how she's like, you know, always putting her 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 nose into things. But you also get the sense that they do that they do respect and like each other. Yeah, I think what the thing is, is they both really want to take care of Dot. Mm-hmm. And Edna, you know, has obviously become like this older sister figure to right. Dot. So she wants to make sure Dot's taken care of. And I think uh, Eddie obviously wants to take care of Dot because he's he's kind of soft on her. And so I think he they both kind of see each other as rivals, like Edna in a more kind of like funny way because she recognizes Eddie is fundamentally decent. Whereas I think Eddie is just so taken aback by how take charge Edna is right that it's just it disarms him a little right right so dot and eddie are married and they settle into a nice little one-room apartment mm-hmm. eddie comes home after work and excitedly tells dot that he's saved enough finally to buy his own shop dot is happy for him but reserved edna comes over to eddie's chagrin and he leaves in a huff to get a paper Oh, and we do also have a nice little scene to show how secretly generous Eddie is. Like all like out of nowhere, like we suddenly hear this chorus of uh, shrieking children at their door and um, Eddie opens and tells them to just scram, get out of here. But they're all they all have ice cream and are thanking him for it. And apparently, you know, he was so excited after he got the advance for his shop that he gave a bunch of uh, kids who were like playing in the hall money to go get ice cream. And I mean, I think Dot is just like, oh, my man, because, you know, he acts like he doesn't care, but he He does. does. (laughs) But, you know, so uh, Dot is happy for him and reserved, but uh, Edna comes over to Eddie's chagrin and he leaves in a huff to get a paper. So Dot confides in Edna that she's pregnant and is worried how this will screw up Eddie's plans for his shop. Edna tells her that even though Eddie is a jerk to her, he's deep down a swell guy and to tell him the truth. Later that night, Dot loses her nerve and instead proposes she go back to work. Eddie is angrily opposed to the idea, insisting that a husband's job is to take care of his wife so she won't have to work. And I feel like this is the filmmaker's way of saying like she like Dot is actually being really reasonable and there is and responsible and responsible and that really Eddie's kind of toxic masculinity is the problem here. So that's why I think they get away with this because Eddie is not supposed to be in the right here. Yeah, I don't think so. And um, she, her main worry about the pregnancy is a, that Eddie won't want it. Yeah. And B um, it's going to ruin them uh, or ruin his chances at buying his own shop because they'll have to pinch nickels as he says. And uh, she wants the best medical care because her mother died giving birth to her. So she right. has like a lot of anxiety she has about a lot giving of anxiety. birth to this kid. 
And Eddie is a bit emotionally immature. Like when she tells him that she wants to start working, he goes, well, I was really excited about getting the shot, but now you've ruined it. It's just like, dude, (laughs) (laughs) like just sit down and talk to each other. Yeah, that's kind of one of um, the main points about the relationship is that they just kind of cross wires constantly. Right. Um, Which is alternately endearing, but also frustrating. Yes. For the viewer. Yes, I agree. And uh, so, I mean, it was getting to me a little bit, but I guess that's a testament to how effective the movie was because I was just kind of like wanting to reach through the screen and shake them. Shake just like, them, right. Have like, a normal conversation, please. Yep. Just get Edna in here. <laughs> to Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Edna is always uh, pretty straight with people. Yeah. Oh, I love Edna. She's she's pretty great. Um. So, however, after a long time thinking about it, Eddie decides that Dot is frustrated living in such a small apartment. That's, you know, it, it kind of classic, like, oh, I know what's the, what's the problem here and kind of pulls a, an, an O. Henry sort of situation yes. where he goes off and, like, does gets something that he assumes that it's going to be important to her. But it's the exact thing that's going to just make her anxiety skyrocket. Yep. Uh, he secretly spends all the money he has saved for a much nicer home, which, I mean, to me, that's not the worst decision to make with your life. If you have a bunch of money saved and can afford a home completely paid off with furniture that's paid off. That is great. But it's, you know, and it's saved, but it's not what she wanted. And it's one of those things. And this is how I feel about like surprise, like public proposals too. don't do a thing like that without consulting with your partner, like buying a house, spending all that money. Let your your spouse know. Yeah. Let your spouse know. I know it's usually good hearted. It's good intentions. Like, I'm going to surprise them with this wonderful thing. But you never know. And yeah, go on. Sorry. It's yeah, just- yeah, yeah. I mean, especially if this is to, like, help the person who's obviously, like, has something big on their mind. Yes. Don't assume that you know. Don't assume that you know. But Eddie, he, he's a fixer in his mind. And he's also, I think, really spurred on by his white rivalry with Edna. Like, uh, like he he lets Edna in on all this and, you know, tries to hide with, well, you were going to butt in anyways. So tell me where to put things. And yeah, I actually I love that bit where yeah. he invites her over to help him uh, arrange the house because, he's, you know, and it's because he obviously respects her and yeah. wants, wants her help. But he kind of couches it in like, well, you're going to come in and like. Tell us how to do it anyway, so I might as well just do it from the beginning. And Edna, again, is great in this scene because she's like, she knows about the pregnancy. She knows that he doesn't know. And she is really touched by what he's done. He's like, you are a great guy. Wait, no, don't put the chair there right by the blah, blah, blah. And they start (laughs) arguing about it. So it's fun. With Edna's help, um, he, he plans a surprise for Dot. Uh, Eddie pretends that the home belongs to two of their friends and invites her to their, quote, housewarming party. After giving Dot a tour of the house, which he um, eventually reveals is theirs, but it's kind of weird how he gives them a tour of this other person's house if that's what he's trying to present. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. She she says, like, I've never seen you this excited about anything. Anything. It's like it's like you're giving a tour of our own house. And he's like, tee. So when he finally tells her in front of all their friends, uh, Dot is in shock. After breaking down in tears when Eddie and the others talk about how awful it is to raise kids in poverty, Edna reveals to a flabbergasted Eddie that Dot's pregnant. Yeah, and again, this kind of shows just how, you know, I think Eddie gets so anxious to be the fixer. And then when things don't go exactly according to his plan and expectations, he becomes a little bit of a whiny kid about it. And luckily, they are surrounded by really good friends who like, because, you know, Dot at first is like, what? Edna, why did you let him spend all this money? It's like, oh, well, I guess this is a bust. And the friends are like, oh, she's just shocked, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, then uh, they all kind of try to come up with small talk and like end up on the topic of like, yeah, raising kids in poverty sucks. And Eddie put, <laughs> tells this big story about how like, you know, he saw his mom like, you know, scrubbing floors from, you know, sun up to sundown. He's never going to let his kid do that. And oddly enough, that gets to Dot. And that's when the story all comes out again. Thanks to Edna, who finally Edna's so straight with people. I just we should all be more like Edna. Yeah. 
I mean, imagine if she had said this a little bit earlier, but again, she was respectful enough to say like, this is Dot's this thing. This is Dot's thing. Her. And she, but she knows when it's like time to like, okay, Dot, we just, this gotta, has to come out to the, in the open. So, and again, it's really kind of, you know, cause you know, Dot, Edna's the first one Dot turns to like, she's like just sobbing on her shoulders and Edna's like, okay, baby, I'll tell. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know. It's just touching human relationships that get to you in movies. That's what it all comes down to. So Eddie doubles down on working hard, both at work and in the new house, to prove himself to Dot. She is sick with worry, knowing that her mother died giving birth to her. She mentions to Eddie that she's not overly fond of her doctor and wistfully wishes they could afford Dr. Burgess, a prestigious doctor mentioned in the papers, who delivers babies for royalty and society. So Eddie, our dear idealistic little fixer, becomes preoccupied with somehow procuring Burgess for her. And he even starts boxing on the side to earn more money. Yeah, that's, I mean, that kind of comes out of nowhere, but I guess it's something that people did. I I mean, in the Depression, you made money any way you freaking could. And I think it's, you know, the fundamental flaw in their relationship, frankly, kind of comes down to Eddie in that he assumes he knows what her problem is without really verifying with her and decide he, he, he hyper focuses on a way to fix it. Mm-hmm. And for him, it's like the only reason she's upset and cause he's convinced she doesn't want the baby and convinced And he's like, well, why doesn't she want the baby? Well, she's worried about, you know, her mother died at childbirth. Uh, so what she needs is a doctor who gives her confidence. She wants this Dr. Burgess got to get her Dr. Bur- Burgess and everything will be, Okie smoky. Yeah, he's a he's man with a mission. Man with a mission. And it's sweet, but also very dumb. Um and so we we get into the whole boxing thing, which you only see once. I'm not sure if he keeps How many doing times it. he does it. Yeah. I'm hoping it was just that once. <laughs> but he's he's working late and there are suggestions that Dot is starting to wonder if he's like stepping out on her. Yeah. Or just trying to avoid her or something like that. Something that could be solved if he sat down and told her what was going on. But yeah. he doesn't want her to worry about him and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. The Poor communication, the movie. Poor communication, the movie, indeed. So um, he doesn't let Dot in on any of these like schemes that he has to raise money or that he wants to get Dr. Burgess for her. So she um, she angrily assumes that he's starting to step out on her and, you know going uh having a night on town and on the night that she's due to go to the hospital he gets in touch with burgess and leaves without telling dot why who is infuriated and eddie uh begs and pleads with burgess telling him his whole story in tears and at last uh burgess played by claude king agrees to take the case yeah i feel like it's kind of a little bit of the oscar bait moment where he kind of breaks down crying telling him like, you gotta do this. My wife is so scared. And it's effective, but it's also like, well, thank God you're a white clean cut guy. Otherwise, I don't think Burgess would probably have taken the case. No, that's very cynical. Burgess is a good guy. But uh Yeah. <laughs> he even mentions to the doctor that he's gonna do he's gonna raise some more money for him because he's gonna go into this boxing match. <laughs> and the guy's like, You're a prize fighter? Like, no. <laughs> No, and actually his friend who hooks him up with this prize fighting kick. Yeah. <laughs> what a friend. Yeah. Um tells him it's like you're no, you're not you're not a prize fighter. He's like I can stand four rounds. Yeah, and the this one is like 10 rounds and he gets 40 bucks. Mm-hmm. So he is very determined. Uh so yeah, Eddie uh also gets into the boxing match and even though he's completely out of the other guy's league uh, he convinces uh, this other boxer to let him stay in all 10 rounds to get the money for his pregnant wife. And the the guy agrees and kind of like they kind of fake fight by yeah, holding him up. He's for, basically holding him up for like the whole 10 while they talk about raising kids. It's cute. Like, you know, uh, once he pretends to kind of punch him and he's like, uh, when do the kids get to know you? And the guy who has a couple kids like, oh, it happens real quick. And it's just like. Oh, it's endearing. He's, <laughs> it is endearing. He's, he's kind of uh, delaying the fight for uh, he even tells his coach that like the, his friend, who's kind of like taking care of him between rounds. says like, why don't you just why don't you just knock this guy out and put him out of his misery? And he's <laughs> like, no, no, no. He needs the money. So yeah, I, I'm going to I'm going to keep I'll, going. 
it's yeah, sweet. It's a, it's a great moment. Yeah. And I feel like it kind of is an example that, and this is kind of hard to say, cause I don't want to say like the depression was good for community, but I think, you know, in like these dire circumstances, you will find a sense of community in in certain places that helps buck you up at times like this. Cause everybody's in a bad place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And- you have two guys literally fighting each other and they are, Friends. They are basically being friendly with each other and helping each other out. It's uh, the things you have to do for money. The things you have to do for money. So Eddie arrives home in just enough time to see Dot get into the taxi. She sees his cuts and assumes he was drunkenly brawling with his friends in a bar. She coldly leaves without him. In the hospital waiting room, Eddie talks with other expected fathers. One has had so many kids he's not entirely sure how many he has. Another is a nervous first-time father who faints when he learns he has a baby girl. Eddie learns he has a son and is ecstatic. Oh, it's a it's a pretty cute scene. And it's it's I think what must have seemed like so scandalous about this movie at the time is ironically something that from our point of view is odd because it seems so like detached. And it's like fathers in the waiting room instead of there in the hospital room. Mm-hmm. But being in the waiting room, talking about their anxiety with other expected fathers was probably something that uh, most audiences back then weren't used to seeing because, you know, that that's women's business. You'll see the kid when they're there. You don't mm-hmm. you don't have to think about it till it happens. So, uh, I mean, things have definitely improved in that front. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a sweet scene. It is. It and is also, it, I guess it's good for drama because you have a set. That's not in the hospital room. Yeah. <laughs> it should be kind of hard to have this development in. Yeah. But uh, yeah, fathers who are engaged in like what's happening with uh, with their childbirth is at least something. It is. It is. Okay. So um, when Eddie comes to visit, he finds out that not only has Burgess covered the bill, but has given the baby $50 to start a bank account. It's like, you magical rich man. Thank you, Dr. Burgess. Exactly. Um, still, and, and this is also after kind of Eddie comes up to him and is like, I'll have like, I'll have more money for you. I'm, I'm ready to like start working and kind of like paying off the bill. And the, the guy just hands him, you know, his, his piece of paper and the piece of paper says paid in full. So yeah, um, it's, it's nice. If only all like, it's rich just, do- it's just nice. It's just nice. I thought all rich doctors were like that. I know. I mean, it is so expensive to have a child. It's ridiculous. It's almost like it should be free. Like healthcare should be free. I know yeah. that's kind of radical. Just, just, <laughs> just my little two cents. Because it's all I got. <laughs> uh, okay, so still uh, things aren't quite great between Eddie and Dot. Uh, both think the other doesn't want the baby. However, when Dot sees the doctor rush out of rush out with the nurses because there's something wrong in the in uh, urgently in the nursery. She looks around and sees the two mothers that she shares a room with still holding their babies and concludes that it's her baby who's having an emergency. She panics and tries storming into the nursery, catching up with Eddie, who is frantically who frantically bursts into the uh, nursery and finds his son. It wasn't their baby after all, who was having a bad coughing fit, but both Eddie and Dot realize that they both love the baby. They reconcile in the cab on the way home with their child. And that's it. That's the end of the movie. I thought the ending was a bit abrupt, but. <laughs> yeah, it was fast. Because it's like they're, they're in the taxi just talking about stuff, like about going home and then whoop, the end. But, you know, it's kind of nice when you think about it. It's like, oh, that's it. That was as high as the stakes got. And, you know, there will be other conflicts, obviously, for this couple. They're still not super great at communicating. But, you know, that's life, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe we'll get better. Who Maybe knows? we'll get better. Maybe we might get divorced someday, but I sure hope not. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So, yeah, it was a Frank Borsage. He's good, I think, at just leaving you with a good feeling. You know, yeah. telling like human stories that sure, maybe wax a little sentimental, but like not too much. The characters still feel like they have real personalities, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this this gave me a good case of the warm and fuzzies. And uh, speaking of which, I think I, if I'm remembering this correctly, um, Sally Ayers or Eilers, who um, who played Dot, she was actually in Sunrise. 
Yeah, you said she was like what, like an extra dancer or something among yeah, the city yeah. saints. Yeah, she actually she'd I guess been a frequent co-star of Buster Keaton's in Silence. Oh. So I liked her. I really thought she was adorable. Uh, I mean, obviously she's very very pretty, but more than that, she just she doesn't have. She's not pretentious. She's very, um, what's the right word? Unaffected mm. and uh, uh, and natural. Like I said, she's maybe not Meryl Streep. And the one criticism, well, I mean, I have a couple of criticisms, but my biggest criticism is that the movie very much starts out from her point of view, but I feel like it does slowly become a little bit more from Eddie's point of view. Yeah. But I mean, that's not necessarily bad because they don't like lose Dot entirely. That's true. But um, I do think that it would have been, you know, good to like keep her kind of the principal point of view. I mean, it's called Bad Girl and, you know, she's obviously the horrible bad girl of the title. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Uh, not a whole lot of trivia on uh, this one. Uh, like a, like I said, there was a lot of trouble getting this past the censors of the time, you know, just because they imply that, yeah, they probably got down to some premarital hanky panky. But um, that might be where the baby's from. That might be where the baby's from. But um, I think and also maybe they had to like, yeah, work around the fact that Edna is a quote unquote widow. Wink, wink. But um, or maybe she's just divorced, you know, you don't know. Yeah. And, but B- both both scandalous, according to the 1930s, according so. to the 1930s. But uh, should we get into rating this thing? Yeah, let's rate this thing. Um, starting off with our first category. How did you feel the acting went? You know, honestly, I think I'm going to have to give it a 10. Oh, I mean, again, like. Everyone's so likable who's supposed to be likable. And by right. that, I mean, really, the three actual characters in this are uh, Dot, Eddie and Edna. And, you know, one criticism is I do feel like we've gotten a little more for Edna. Mm. You know, she's uh, obviously has a character of her own. She's not just the stock best friend character. Right. Like, I would have liked to have seen a little. I get I don't really know what resolution could have been there for her, though. I mean, I think she just keeps plugging along. But they've, they yeah, both, she could get yeah. her own separate movie. Yeah, I would love to see a movie all about Edna. Um, but they all three have great chemistry, I think. And uh, we're just pretty super great. What do you think? I'm going to give them an eight. Um, not because they were bad. Um, or, you know, each each actor did did well, I think. I just felt like they didn't really have a chance to show off a lot of range, necessarily. Um, I guess, yeah. I mean, there is a little bit of evolution in their characters, and that might be kind of bleeding more into writing. Yeah. But um, I just felt like they did a great job with what they were given to do, but I am going to reserve my 10 for something that's a little bit more um, yeah, more, more diverse, I guess. I guess. Yeah, no, I totally see your reasoning, and I feel like I'm probably being a little too kind with the 10, but I feel like, you know... The chart, this kind of movie makes or breaks on the chemistry between the actors. It's a very character driven oh, sure. uh, piece. And I think I think it was, you know, pretty perfectly cast. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it was done well. It was done well. Oh, definitely good. So um, our next category for rating is writing. Um, how did you feel like the story went? I think I will steal your score from acting and give it an eight. <laughs> give it an eight. Yeah. I mean, I think that there was probably some stuff that could have been a little clearer from that was probably they had to cut out from the play, such as, you know, Edna's true marital status. And it's implied that she and um, uh, Dot's brother, I guess, are a bit of an item, but that, you know, she's so disgusted by his treatment of Dot that she that she dumps him. And uh, so maybe like a little more on his character, even as unpleasant as he was, would have given a little more context. But those are mm-hmm. really my only and also maybe not giving Edna quite as much plot as she deserved. Mm-hmm. But overall, I mean, I think the writing was was very good. I felt like the dialogue was very, uh, very true to each character. Yeah, the um, Dot and Eddie kind of and I think I mentioned this while we were watching it. There is a certain kind of middle school kind of uh, middle school romance yes. touch to it because they do seem kind of not not entirely confident about what they're doing. No, because you get the feeling neither of them has really had like a serious relationship. 
Right, right. Like, uh, and Dot has been kind of sheltered by her brother, but also by uh, Edna in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so while obviously she's a working girl and she's had to fend off advances from from dudes, um, she's still very much kind of is emotionally uh, a little immature because she depends so much on on Edna, and um, and you get and obviously Eddie's a bit immature too. Right, right. Um, and I think they wrote that very well. I, do I mean, too. at first it kind of graded on me, but I think after it, it develops a little bit further into the plot, it's like, OK, th- this is just who these people are. And it's actually written very well. Right. And again, it's a bit like, you know, um, Chico and Diane in Seventh Heaven in that they're both, mm-hmm. you know, a little immature, but kind of, you know, grow up with each other. Yeah, yeah, I it's can see that. Not always a good thing when two immature people marry each other. No. But in a cute little romantic dramedy, I think it works. And I'd say this is a dramedy, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. I mean, it has comedic elements and um and some dramatic tension. Yeah. Not not comedic in the Marie Chevalier sort of sense, but No. Uh, no. It'd be funny to try to see Marie Chevalier in this movie. See him try to tackle Eddie. <laughs> that would... Who would you cast him as? I'd cast him as Eddie. I'd like to see what he'd do with it. I'd cast him as Dr. Burgess. Well, he's, ob- <laughs> he, you know, he's obviously skilled at playing a doctor, as we learned from an hour with you. So, Oh, gosh. Oh, the weird songs that would come out of this. Oh, I would not like that. Uh, so how do we feel about our third category, cinematography? Um, I mean, functional. I guess I'll give it a six, like maybe a slightly better than average, but not like. I couldn't really think of too many shots that were too artistic. Maybe but again, I think that is the strength of the writing and the acting that I wasn't really paying as much attention to that. So maybe there was some good artistic shots I missed. Yeah. Um, they definitely, I mean, the camera did tell the story well, but mm-hmm. it wasn't quite like, it wasn't seventh heaven ascending no. the apartment complex shots or anything yeah. like that. Um, I think I will give it, I'll go slightly higher than you. I'll, I'll give it a seven. How about I, that? Yeah, I think we're going to, it's probably going to be another couple of years before we really start to see some of that grandiose cinematography we saw in the silence. Because, I mean, they're still trying to work with like microphones mm-hmm. now and adjusting to like the all the sound equipment. So, you know, I'm, I'm willing to give them some slack in these early years. Yeah, I mean, Frank Borzage, we know from you Seventh know Heaven. know what he could do, yeah. And I think probably the sound, uh, which we'll get into in technical, presented some challenges. Yeah. Um, and our last category for the main categories that go through one through ten. Overall, how well do you think their acting, writing, and cinematography work together to make a final product? I guess eight is the number of the day. I, uh, I would agree. Yeah. I mean... It, I just, it's a very likable movie. Mm-hmm. Very likable. Does it have big, important social messages like uh, a five-star final? I'd honestly say yes, but in just le- a less overt, like, dramatic way. I mean, right. it's just, it's like taking just, life was freaking tough back then. And uh, they don't shriek away from that, but they also don't stop and like wring their hands and have a Greek chorus bewailing that. They just get through it. As you know, we're all getting through the pandemic right now, frankly. Right. I think I think where it kind of falls down a little bit is that it does address some of the like difficulties of the depression. But at the same time, it's very middle class. It is pretty middle class. And and they acknowledge poverty and discussing the tenements. And you see the, the tenement tenants mm-hmm. uh, go up and down the stairs and they have different issues, alcoholism, uh, uh, you know, family dying and not being able to be there and things like that. Someone just had a baby in one of those rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it, I mean, it is important to note that they are white, they have jobs, so they're in as about a good a position as a person in their status could be back then. Right, right. And and that new flat that he got was pretty nice. It was pretty nice. I wouldn't mind living there. I would love to live there, quite frankly. Um, so, I mean, they're doing all right. But it still, you know, tries to, like, keep more than a lot of movies back then did that were, you know, trying to do the opposite, distract people from what was going on. Mm-hmm. It's still very much in the context of, you know, uh, we never thought life would be this way, as a song yeah. of friends would say. 
even though they were all rich white people. So I don't know why they were so struggling. But anyways, stop going off on tangents about that, Jason, about class warfare. About uh, class warfare and wealth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think part of that might um, come up in longevity, actually, because the story does feel like it could be pretty easily shifted to a different time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because it is about like it's a human drama it's rather human than drama, like, like a depression drama. and. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, think, it's very, I think my personal yeah. preference is for depression dramas just because it's, I don't know, it feels more serious. It does, because we've all been taught that the depression was such a singular event. And I think we are all slowly learning that. Oh, well, I mean. There have been moments like that since, mm-hmm. but it's uh it's a fascinating like history lesson to go back and like watch these movies and see what oh, the attitudes sure. were. Shall we go on to uh, b- b- bonus? We shall. And it has 63 points going into the bonus rounds, Not which bad, puts bad it girl. two behind the champ, which we just did. Oh, OK. And um, but and kind of significantly behind the five star final. Interesting. OK. But it's kind of interesting that we just talked about the champ in comparing this like very, very depression era focused um drama and this lighter drama and it's, you know two points behind i need to look up how these movies like bad girl and champ uh did at the box office because mm-hmm. and five star file because maybe you know part of it was probably the haze code but i do wonder if the shift to like focus more on like the bright musicals that don't talk about the depression came from the fact that maybe audiences weren't so into seeing movies like this then right yeah right i wonder i wonder so our first bonus round, chance for bonus points. These are points uh, zero through five. And our first one is costumes and set. I love everything Dot wears. And <laughs> I, that is a really gorgeous flat. And, you know, I mean, pretty realistic looking tenements, I guess. So I guess I would give it a full five. Full five. Once again, going with the fashion choices of the 1930s. I mean, and plus, she's just so cute. I mean, I I said this to you the other day. I feel like um, uh, the director character in BoJack Horseman who becomes obsessed with uh, with Todd's face. Like, look at this kid's (laughs) face. I love this kid's face. Give him a cookie. That's how I feel about Sally Ailey. like, I like this kid's face. I can can get that. I can get that. And um, I'm going to give them a... I'm going to give them a four. Okay. The costumes were great. Edna's costumes were fantastic. Oh, she's she's um, perfect in every way, that Edna. Everyone was, you know, dressed as expected and dressed well. And the uh, the set did kind of convey reality to yeah. a certain extent. It wasn't like a, a lavish flat mm-hmm. that they moved into, but it was... Um, pretty big swank. Pretty, pretty nice. Pretty nice. Uh, and you believed that someone who had saved up for a shop for a really long time could afford it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty it was a pretty big gesture on Eddie's part. We have to we have to concede that. I mean, kind of ill conceived and he should have consulted his freaking wife before buying a house. But still pretty sweet. Pretty nice. OK, our next chance for bonus points is the boldness category. How bold do you think this movie was? I'm going to give it a four um, because, you know, not the full five because they did have to compromise a lot, I think, right. to get it out there. So I'm sure they wanted to be bolder. But um, no, I mean, I think they, you know, tackled without a lot of fanfare, some pretty, you know, big topics at the time. So, yeah, pretty good on boldness. What do you think? I'm going to give it a three um, because I do think that the title definitely was a commentary on how yep, people would have reacted yep. to uh, to Dot, you know, spending the night with uh, with her boyfriend. Yep. And, uh, you know, showing back up at 4 a.m. How know. dare she? And the brother's the bad guy just for knocking her around a bit and kicking her out for maybe being pregnant. Right, right. So, <laughs> um, I I'm not going to quite score it higher than that because it is after all kind of a feel-good movie it is yeah Um, they probably do take the easy way out by making things as cheerful as they do yeah and you can tell the you can tell that some censorship kind of softened everything yes um but you know still good they they still uh they still challenged um this several thoughts about you know 
without going into it really specifically, the idea that she shouldn't be working, the idea that, um, that, you know, a man is just going to automatically know what his wife wants and needs. Um, yeah, she she has her own will. (laughs) Yeah. Without hammering us over the head about it. I mean, it it definitely has its feminist bent of just, you know, saying like, (laughs) dude, just sit down and talk to your wife. Like she's a person with her own thoughts and autonomy. Like maybe if she wants to work, that would be great. Like, yeah, frankly, Edna is a pretty progressive and also, you know, like we keep saying is the best character. She is. She's just she, sanity. Like, And well, she's a single mom. Yeah. With a job. With a job. And she's also not like some untouchable paragon of wisdom, too. We see her like, you know, freak out a little at her son, understandably, and have her own little like hysterical fit. So she's just very human. And I think. You know, obviously she's not like, uh, well, Sally Eiler's level of pretty or anything, but so she's just like a real person. And I mm-hmm. feel like people like a woman like Edna in another horror movie would have been ha- really sexistly portrayed in every way that Eddie kind of pretends she is like she would have been an unbearable nag. Mm-hmm. But the, this movie is like mature enough to go. No, he just doesn't want to hear what she's saying. <laughs> All right. Um, the next category for bonus points is legacy. Um, sadly, I mean, do you know of any movies that this really influenced? Well, yeah, unfortunately, like I was theorizing, it might have been movies like this that were a little too real or something for audiences back then. And so we got to shift away. So it's kind of almost like a negative legacy. But I don't even know if my cockamamie theory is correct. So I could see it having some influence on the genre of of romantic comedy. Yeah. So, so I'll I'll give it like a for goodwill. I'll give it a two, maybe. That's what I was going to give it as well. Yeah. Um, it's a uh, it definitely deserves mm-hmm. a legacy. It does. It does. <laughs> but I just I don't I feel like people saw that and said like, oh, yeah, that's a cute story. Let me make it cuter and softer. Yes. And with less heaviness. To and it. I think, yeah, there is just an unfortunate tendency that started in the 30s that has continued in like sitcoms we see today where like there will be lip service paid to like financial struggles, but everyone will still be in like really nice houses, really nice furnishing. And it's never really a huge problem. Right. And that kind of takes away the realism that made this so relatable, frankly. Right. Right. And I feel like almost. It almost felt like in certain ways, like a sitcom. Yeah. And but a sitcom is much softer and nicer. And it's kind of like they maybe they took this formula. I don't know how conscious this is, but probably later movies took it, made it softer, easier, uh, cheesier. And that was then replicated and replicated and replicated. It reminds me a lot of Barefoot in the Park. The uh, I think it was Mike Nichols movie. No, not Mike Nichols. What's his face? That guy. That guy. You'll you'll edit this so this doesn't take as long. But this is a movie with Jane Fonda and Robert Redford that had a very similar like newlyweds trying to make it in a kind of a crummy apartment. Neil Simon. Neil Simon. It was based on a Neil Simon play, but very similar vibe. I wonder if that was nominated for Best Picture. We'll probably we might see that in the late 60s. Yeah. Okay. So many things to look forward to. Uh, so the next category for bonus points is longevity. How well does this movie stand up over time? Um, I'm going to give it a five. I'm going to give myself. it a five too. I'm going to give it a five. It was just, again, I think we're getting more movies now that we can see audiences today enjoyed. I think people were slowly learning how to write movies. Not because a lot of the early talkies were plays like this, but they were choosing plays kind of like the divorce say, that were aimed towards rich people. Mm. And so it's a little hard to relate as much to Norma Shearer getting to be this jet setting divorcee who gets to, you know, like, you know, let loose. It's, it's easier to relate to someone like Dot or Eddie for any, for like, for the every man and every woman and every. Right. And, you know, people are still having kids. People People still have those, those issues of, I mean, that, that's part of the boldness score too. I think mm-hmm. is the idea is like, well, what if the parents don't want the child? Yes, yes, exactly. And uh, even though it seems ridiculous, and you want to shake him for not communicating with each other clearly about it, I mean, communication problems are a real life thing that re- that couples right. have to struggle with. And there's no neat and tidy re- resolution too. 
really. I mean, they both realize they love the kid. They love each other. But, you know, there's still the implication that, you know, things aren't going to be always perfect. You just have to get through it. All right. Our last category for bonus points is probably one they're not going to do super great on, and that would be technical. Yeah. They had some issues with the sound, and um, I feel like we know that it was a technical issue because there are points in in the print that we had where the, the sound is, is good, mm-hmm. and then other points where it's very difficult and yeah. we had to put on the subtitles. We did. So I don't know if I am going to give them any bonus points for this. For You're going to give them zero? Well, I'll give them a one for good faith. One for good faith. That's just what a positive feeling they left. <laughs> I yeah, I'm gonna give them a one for capturing um Sally Eiler's uh voice really well. Like whenever she spoke for some reason, it, like her voice just carried perfectly to I, the microphone. I mean, I think some people are gifted with a voice that carries well in situations like that. Others not so much and doesn't really have to do maybe with particular skill, but just with their natural born freaking voice. But yeah, they did capture her voice really well. All right, and that gives Bad Girl a total of 95 points, putting it one ahead of the champ. Well, you know, okay, I I, I, I did really like the champ, but, you know, that did lean a bit on the melodrama. Mm-hmm. This was, I think, a little, and a little bit of the kind of formula we'd later see with kind of tearjerker movies. This was just more kind of honest, I think. More of an honest Probably one of the more honest movies we've seen this season. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. So the final question is, we gave it to the champ, but is Bad Girl also worthy of a nomination for the Notsker, a movie award podcast movie award for movies? I'm going to say yes. You're going to say yes on the Notsker? I'm going to say yes. I am going to say yes on the nomination as well. Um, I thought the movie was like definitely effective and the more that we talk about it and the more we kind of go over it and absorb more and kind of notice the little details and things like that it's um like i was telling you it does strike me as kind of a lesser seventh heaven but seventh heaven was already such a high such bar. a high bar to clear um that with their with the technical difficulties that they had to adjust to back then the fact that they were able to get this as good mm-hmm. as it is, mm-hmm. it's still pretty impressive. And frankly, it's like the only movie we've seen this like season that I would actually you know, really like watching again. Oh, okay. You know, I mean, Champ would be hard just because, because it's funny, you know, like, I think Champ is, you know, about on the same level of this, but it, it would be harder to rewatch just because it is a tearjerker. Right. Um, you know, a little bit same as Five Star Final. I, I wouldn't mind seeing Five Star Final again, but I feel like this is the one Maybe it, it might be a little too safe, I guess you could argue. But like it's but sometimes not, you want to feel nice. Sometimes we want to feel nice. And I think every kind of movie should that does that their thing well should be acknowledged. Yeah. And I think that's what our Notsker is for. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. So that is it for bad girls. If you've enjoyed this program, you should definitely, definitely share it with people that you know. Yeah. Um, you can fine. Share a message with us on uh, iTunes by giving us a review, or you can contact us on Twitter at Comeback a Star, or you can uh, contact us via our Facebook page, which someone actually did. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, high praise. I forgot to look up the name, but they made the point that um, Cisco Kid from from uh, in old Arizona might have later played a. I guess that's the name of a character in Lone Ranger. Oh, so there might have been a little bit of legacy thinking. on that. Yeah, we need to give them an extra, uh, some retrospective, like extra point on legacy there in old Arizona. Um, and you can contact us there. You can also email us if you're old fashioned at uh, comebackastarpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We and, would. um, for now, all we're getting is uh, promotional materials for people wanting to promote our podcast for money. So um, some actual listeners would be very welcome. Yes, please do. Uh, so thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for, for tuning in. Um, I hope you enjoyed this. 
And because we certainly did. We certainly did. And let me just give this parting wish that anyone in relationship troubles sit down and talk about it with your partner. Just talk yeah. about it. Yeah. Don't talking assume is good. you know. Don't assume you know. Yeah. And don't assume the other person knows. And it can be scary. We get that. But it's it's worth it. It is. It's also maybe a little bit less expensive than buying an entirely new house. It might just be. <laughs> okay, everyone, I'm going to turn off this projector, draw the curtains, and I am going to sign off. Uh, stay safe out there if you're in any kind of snowstorm. Absolutely. All right, take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.